tuning into Tax Time, our monthly podcast covering the latest developments in Ireland. My name is Kim Doyle, Tax Director with Grant Horton, and today I am your host. I will be discussing the latest in tax. The COVID-19 support schemes continue to dominate discussions we're having with clients. We also have some important updates on the main schemes which I will share with you today. There are other key developments in tax which are worth noting and I'll also cover these. I am joined by my colleague Jarlett O'Keefe, VAT Partner with Grant Horton. Charlotte and I will be discussing Brexit and the impact for business and consumers. So the temporary wage subsidy scheme or the TWIS continues to be you know, a significant part of the workload for tax advisors and also for employers. The big um, item in town now around the TWSS is this whole stage two of the reconciliation process. Revenue have just confirmed recently that they will begin issuing reconciliation statements to all employers beginning the week of 22nd of March. Employers will have until the end of June to respond to these reconciliation statements. Originally, this was planned to be in January and you would have seen correspondence from us on that point. However, there was delays on revenue side and the key message is to note that this reconciliation will kick off, as I said, from the 22nd of March. But you do need to respond as an employer before the end of June. Revenue have also in the last couple of days issued letters to over 3000 employers reminding them that they must provide information to them on the TWSS reconciliation. Now, these employers were due to have provided revenue with this information in October last. And according to revenue's records, they still haven't done so, these employers. Revenue are taking the approach that because these employers are considered non-responders, they essentially were not entitled to the TWSS subsidy in the first place, and therefore they're seeking repayment. So if you do come across one of these letters in your in your post box, please do have a close read of it and respond to revenue accordingly. The debt warehousing scheme continues to be available. And I know it's, again, a, a discussion that we're having with, with many clients still at this stage, particularly in light of the announcements um, in February by government that we will be remaining in level five restrictions for at least um, or until at least the 5th of April. So the debt warehousing scheme will continue to be, you know, a scheme that businesses will need to, you know, consider or to avail of. The main point around the debt warehousing scheme in the last couple of weeks is that the Collector General has come out and said that there has been a significant level of non-filing for a large cohort of taxpayers in this scheme. So essentially what that means is taxpayers have not been filing the tax returns that they're supposed to um, on time. Now, that is a significant part of the debt warehousing scheme, but also it's part of the general tax system. You know, timely filing of tax returns is a must. And the Collector General is very aware that this compliance level is slipping in recent weeks. The Collector General has advised that their office will be contacting all taxpayers requesting that they bring their tax returns up to date in order to continue to avail of the debt warehousing scheme but also to continue to qualify for tax clearance so again it's worth having a look over your tax return records just to check if there is you know one or two tax returns that are outstanding and file those as, as soon as possible another big development of late is around I suppose the generally the EWSS so this is the current employment wage subsidy scheme and also the covert restriction support schemes both of these schemes were due to expire at the end of March 2021. In light of the extension to the level five restrictions, the government has confirmed that both these schemes will be extended until the end of June 2021. These schemes, along with other government support schemes, such as the pandemic unemployment payment and any grant rebates and um, commercial rates waivers, are also due to be extended until the end of June 2021. Just moving away now from the COVID-19 support schemes and other news and tax that's worth noting, so the first thing is, is 
among ourselves within Grant Horton, the firm, we have responded to the Department of Finance's public consultation on the Employment and Investment Incentive Scheme. So we've been in discussion with many clients on this scheme in, in recent years and certainly in recent months in terms of the impacts COVID-19 has had on the correspondence back, you know, between taxpayers and revenue and obtaining certificates, etc. So the Department of Finance launched this public consultation at the end of 2020. And we expect the following submissions made under this consultation, there will be some sort of discussion and bilateral um, correspondence between, you know, tax practitioners, advisors, um, representative bodies, revenue and the Department of Finance. We all know that COVID-19 has had a devastating impact on most Irish businesses and industries. And one of the key points we made in our submission to the Department of Finance on the EIIS is that it's more important than ever to make meaningful efforts to restore private investor confidence in Irish companies. And the EII scheme is well placed to facilitate this objective. If we're thinking, I suppose, looking at revenue guidance in recent weeks, and revenue have published some key updates that are worth noting, certainly here today. The, the first um, is a manual around what constitutes a trade. So this manual from revenue hasn't been updated in, in certainly in recent years, and they did publish an updated version in February 2021. And they have updated their opinions as to what constitutes a trade. So I'd imagine many listeners today would find it interesting to have a look over that, that manual in terms of what constitutes a trade. As we know, the importance around the difference between trading and not trading is the, the relevant um, corporation tax rate that would apply. Another manual that has been updated in recent weeks is around the revised entrepreneur relief. So this is a capital gains tax relief. And another capital gains tax manual that has been updated is the withholding tax and the online CG50 system. Again, this is something we've been discussing a lot with clients in recent months. So it may be um, worth going onto the revenue website and having a look at that manual or also give us a, give us a call here at Grant Horn. Two other um, guidance notes or guidance manuals updated from revenue in recent weeks, one being the tax rate for startup companies and the second being transfer pricing guidance. More so the second, the transfer pricing guidance, this has been long awaited for and certainly it, it helps um, practitioners and taxpayers alike in terms of updated guidance from revenue on the legislation and rules around the transfer pricing rules. Hi, Charlotte. Thanks for joining me today. I know you and your team have been really busy in the last couple of months advising on Brexit and the impact for Irish businesses and consumers. I think it's fair to say that Brexit has been pretty much ingrained in business discussions and decisions for over four and a half years now. I know the EU-UK Trade and Cooperation Agreement has given us some answers to address the impacts of Brexit on VAT, customs, tax systems and other related matters. However, I'm aware that there are other matters not addressed or that the answers given do give rise to some further questions. In your view, you know, in your experience, does the agreement mean that businesses won't have to pay tariffs on goods imported from the UK? Because I know this is one area certainly that has come up in recent weeks. Yeah, thanks, Kim, for that. Um, and, and I'll get to that point just in a second. But maybe, and, and as you say, we have been busy with Brexit related queries um, and I'll discuss a, a couple of those and go through a couple of the common areas um, that we've been in conversations with with clients about. But it might be first, it might be useful just to look back um, at the landscape, say, three months ago. And three months ago, you know, in early December, we were looking at probably three options in regard to a Brexit deal. And that was either a deal, a no deal or some sort of fudge. And I think we've landed somewhere between a deal and a fudge. So to answer your specific query, th there is um, an EU, EU UK trade and cooperation agreement which was signed on the 30th of December 2020. So it went right to the line and inevitably it didn't cover everything. 
And also we should note that it is a rolling agreement where either party can exit that agreement with 12 months notice. But it will uh, allow for trade to go ahead between the, the EU and the, and the UK, but it won't be frictionless trade the way it was prior to the uh, UK leaving the, the customs union. So most significantly, it does eliminate customs duties on all trade and all goods originating in the UK or the EU. And that represents, I guess, most of the trade going between both parties. But key to that is the rules of origin. Okay, and and thanks, Jada, for the suppose the, the background as to the last three months and a bit of context. I jumped straight in there. I know into the EU UK trade and cooperation agreement. You you just mentioned there, I suppose, and you you finished your last point around the rules of origin. Can you just I suppose give us some insight into what are they exactly? Those rules. Yeah, and and look, they're very complex. So you know, I'll give a, a high level summation, if you like, of those. Most. I guess amateurs or most businesses indeed looking in on this would have thought that with a free trade agreement between um, the UK and the EU, all, all transactions of goods between those parties would have been customs due and tariff free. Um, unfortunately, that's not the case. So we have this rules of origin concept. And effectively, when you're thinking about the rules of origin, you really need to think of not where the product was shipped from, but what's effectively the economic passport of the product. So any product that you know effectively is manufactured or grown in the UK or the EU can transfer and be sold cross-border with no customs duty. However, if we take a simple example and say a computer manufacturer in uh, Taiwan sends product to the UK and a wholesaler in the UK sells that product on uh, to Ireland, for instance, or anywhere else within the EU, then that product wouldn't satisfy the rules of origin and therefore customs duty might apply to that particular product. Now that's probably a bad example insofar as most computers and technological equipment don't have duty applicable to them. But I guess you guess what I'm, 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 I'm looking at here in terms of duty can apply if products do not originate in either of those two jurisdictions. Um, certainly, yeah, Jared, I, I, what I'm taking from that is it's all about maybe where the products start from, or as you said, their passport, and back to the, the word in the rules of origin, where they actually originate from and begin their journey. W would that be fair to say? That is fair to say, and it can get a little bit more complicated. So you can bring products, say, into the UK. Further work can be done on that product in the UK, and that work that's done in the UK, say, exceeds 50%. You know, it's a reasonably arbitrary figure, but then that can convert it into effectively originating in the UK. So the difficulty I would foresee in regard to the whole rules of origin concept is that the vendor, so for instance, a UK supplier supplying into the UK or sorry, into the EU can self-certify and can say that the product does originate in the in the, the UK. So I would advise purchasers of anything that they think might not originate in the UK to have that confirmed either with the authorities or to ensure that they've written into their contract that if it's ever questioned at a future date that they're covered in terms of any duties that might be liable. Okay um, and you mentioned there specifically in your in your Taiwan example computer software and just taking I suppose, a step back and considering the, the agreement overall 
and I know you carved out their computer software in your example as being perhaps not one of the best examples, but just thinking around agreement and services generally, like does the agreement cover, say, all services, for example, just thinking along the lines of financial services? There, there are a number of services uh, included within the agreement, um, but not 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 financial services, and that's that's uh, a very significant omission. My understanding is the UK economy, roughly eighty percent of the UK economy, uh, and certainly its its GDP output is through services, and financial services is a, is a significant part of that. So, so financial services isn't included um, in in the the free trade agreement. So there will be a lot of work needed um, in the coming months and years in order to facilitate an agreement between the EU and the UK on financial services. Other services have been agreed, but I, as I say, I would envisage there will be a number of iterations of this cooperation agreement in the next number of years. I, I think there'll be a number of amendments to it uh, as we go forward and as we identify issues um, that are arising. OK, so certainly the agreement is one that we're, we're going to be keeping a close watch on, as you said, for changes over the coming months and years. And there'll be a lot of work, I'd imagine, to continue around that. I suppose thinking then back to the other pieces of legislation that we always have to keep a close eye on, and there's lots of changes in terms of finance acts and, and developments and so on. Specifically then considering our VAT legislation, have there been any significant changes or any changes worth noting? following Brexit? Well, obviously, as I'm a, a fat practitioner, I'm going to say, yeah, there's been a lot of changes, but in, in reality, there, there hasn't been that many. Um, there will be administrative changes in terms of the place of supply of rules for, for goods and indeed for services. Um, the, probably the most significant change in has come um, in relation to import fat, now that the UK is effectively what's known as a third country, um, so effectively a country that's outside of the EU. Anyone that is selling product to the UK or indeed buying product from the UK into the EU, that now becomes an import rather than an intra-community acquisition. And previously, any imports stay into Ireland and indeed into the UK were, were paid at the point of import. So there was a cash flow issue for potentially, especially for the SMEs in Ireland who were not used to um, buying product from outside of the EU. Where they would had to have gone through the cash flow of paying for paying the VAT up front in relation to the import and then claiming it back at a later stage. So the revenue in Ireland have introduced postponed VAT accounting, which allows those uh, companies to self account for VAT on their VAT return and uh, assuming they have full VAT recovery, take a simultaneous input deduction on the same VAT return and thereby that renders the transaction VAT and cash flow neutral. So that's a significant advantage and a significant cost actually to the to the Irish revenue, particularly in light of all of the extra costs in, in relation to COVID, because not only does that import VAT or that concession in re regard to postponed accounting apply to the UK, it's going to apply to all other imports uh, from all other third countries throughout the world. So anything we import from the UK, companies now instead of having to pay VAT up front will, will, will be allowed to self-account as if it was effectively an, uh, an inter-community acquisition. So that was a significant uh, change to Irish legislation that the revenue and the, the government indeed brought in um, to mitigate the cash flow disadvantage that would have been um, would have been there for, for businesses in Ireland. It sounds like certainly well a significant change, a very welcome addition to the, the Irish VAT legislation, this VAT postponed method of accounting. 
And um, just thinking, I suppose, about the island of Ireland and I suppose trade with, with Northern Ireland, how has that been impacted or will it be impacted in your view? Uh, I think it will be impacted, but not as significantly as, as it could have been if if the UK hadn't have signed up to the, the trade uh, cooperation agreement. So the North effectively remains part of the UK customs union for VAT purposes. So what does that mean? It means in terms of goods, any goods that are being sold from the North to the South or South to the North remain within the EU. So they remain as intercommunity acquisitions. So businesses won't see any change uh, in that regard. There won't need to be any paperwork. There won't need to be any customs declarations and uh, it will remain um, the same in terms of your VAT returns uh, in Ireland. Um, there will be a different VAT number applied to businesses in uh, the north because GB will introduce specific uh, VAT numbers for those businesses in Northern Ireland. Now, in terms of though goods are moving from, if you like, GB into Northern Ireland, that that will that will change. So they will be leaving, albeit from a, a UK perspective, and the North remains part of clearly part of the UK. But in terms of trade, it's a it's it's a different jurisdiction. Therefore, there is a, effectively an Irish sea border, and goods coming into the North will effectively be imports from GB. So there will be extra administration and paperwork. Um, for businesses in the north and I guess one issue that we will have to be very cognizant and certainly the EU will be very cognizant of is goods going into the north for onward supply to businesses in the in the south of Ireland or even further afield on to um, mainland Europe. They'll want to protect um, the you know the, the viability of the EU and they won't want product and the integrity of the EU and they won't want product moving um, that shouldn't be allowed to move freely from one from a non-EU jurisdiction into the EU. Okay, and um, thanks, thanks for that, Jared. And um, just thinking around the area of online shopping, you know, it certainly has developed in recent years, and more so in the last, you know, twelve months or so, particularly around thinking of the COVID nineteen restrictions and the fact, you know, that that in, in consumers certainly in Ireland are were restricted from walking into a retail shop, etc. In terms of like consumers buying goods online for personal use, how how will this all be impacted? Well, it'll, it'll be impacted in the same way as and, and those that have been used to say buying product from from the US should should already have been uh, aware of this. But product coming in from the UK, as I say, the UK is now a, a third country. So any any product coming in over a value of 22 euro will be subject to VAT and any product over a value of 150 euro will be subject subject to uh, customs duty if applicable. So I think if we want to give a, a practical example of that, say you were looking to buy a pair of trainers and you go on to a website and that happens to be a UK website and there's a pair of trainers that are on there and they're costing 160 euro, clearly that's inaccessible to 22 and 150. So when you get your um, parcel delivered by Amazon or or whoever, they will have on it um, the duty and the VAT that you have to pay as well. So you'll be liable to pay VAT and customs duty at the applicable rate on, on that product. And why that I, I use particularly the, the example of trainers, and we go back to, as we discussed earlier on, the, the rules of origin, it's extremely unlikely that those trainers would have originated in the UK. So therefore, 
duty is likely to to apply to those. So there will be added costs of of doing business um, and buying online for for private consumers such as ourselves. Um, and you know what what might happen is supply chains. I would imagine pressure will be put on 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 companies such as Amazon to uh, to change their supply chains and have hubs either in in Ireland or in Germany. That product rather than going via the UK will go directly to Ireland to eliminate that that potential issue. Yeah, certainly, you know, the key point I'm taking from that is to look at the, the fine print or the terms and conditions of the, the sales price certainly is used, for example, Amazon, you know, to keep an eye out for the additional costs. You know, you, you would be usually expect to see the delivery, whereas now the delivery charges, whereas now we would have, you know, most likely the additional customs charges as well on top of the, the price of the product that you see perhaps on the first page when you, when you go into Amazon and similar online um, services. And certainly another point I've clearly taken from that is, you know, you're aware you're buying from an online website. You may feel it's within the EU, but perhaps the, the product you're buying are not originating um, where you think they are. And that can then hit you with the additional charge. As you've mentioned there, you need to look at the, the origin of the product. Yeah. Would that be fair? Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's absolutely fair. And it is, I think a lot of people have been and will be caught out on that going forward. And I think people can also be caught out on, on the, the IP address used by various businesses where they might have an IE um, address, but in, a, in in reality, that's coming from, from the UK. Now, as I say, people who have been uh, used to dealing, say, with the US will have come across this before. And indeed, people that have dealt with other third jurisdictions, this this will have this will be an issue. But given the proximity of the UK, this this will be a, an issue for Irish consumers. Certainly. Yeah. And um, thanks very much, Jarlin, for the insights into the EU UK trade and cooperation agreement and also for, for the background around the domestic changes we've seen into our VAT legislation. And particularly you've highlighted the VAT postponed method of accounting. And I've certainly taken away a lot of advice around being a private consumer and you know purchasing goods online and the impact now you know, for us in that area. I think that's it for today, everyone. Um, tune into our Tax Time podcast next month, where we'll be discussing the latest tax issues that may affect your businesses. If you need more in the meantime, visit our website where you'll find many fact sheets and insights into the topics we've discussed today. 